Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Chapter 79, More Useless Sons. Marcus Aurelius only had one son who was still alive when he died. Septimius Severus had two. They were, though, just as useless between them as Commodus had been on his own. And anyway, they hated each other. It was clearly only a matter of time before there was just the one son. Eleven months, to be precise. As soon as his father was dead, Caracalla tried to get the army to declare him sole emperor, but the soldiers preferred Geda, so they refused. Now this wasn't because Geda was any nicer or more decent, he'd just done a better job ingratiating himself with the soldiers than his elder brother. A very angry Caracalla was joined by his brother and they were declared joint emperors, just as their father had wanted. They immediately ended the war in Scotland and set off for Rome. On the way back though, they never talked to each other. The new joint emperors arrived in Rome later in the year. Septimius Severus had failed utterly in his aim to turn them into conscientious emperor material. When they got back to Rome, they were both as unpleasant as they had been when they left. Nothing changed. After behaving themselves during their father's funeral, Caracalla and Geda continued not to speak to each other or even meet in private. Whenever they had to meet, they met in public and they were both surrounded by armed guards and took care never to go anywhere near each other if possible. They had walls built inside the imperial palace and each brother lived in his own half, behind his own walls with his own friends guarded by his own guards. It was clear to everyone that it couldn't last. One of the senators came up with the bright idea that the empire should be split in half for the purpose of government and that Caracalla should rule the west from Rome and Geda should head east and rule his half from Alexandria or Antioch. One person, however, was against this plan and she was one of the most popular people in the empire. The boy's mother, Julia Domna, wanted to stop her sons fighting and get them to bury their differences and rule together, so she put a stop to the plan for dividing the rule of the empire. Just 66 years later, Diocletian would put exactly this solution into practice, and soon after that, two or more emperors, ruling from different parts of the empire, would be the way that things were done. But Julia Domna was not having it now. Nope, her two wonderful sons were going to rule together, just as their father had wanted. Each of the brothers began to build up a following in Rome. Geda, it said, made friends with the literary men, so he got better publicity. Caracalla and Geda both tried to have their own friends put in important government jobs and there was a fight about pretty much every appointment. They even made decisions in legal disputes so that their own supporters were let off if they did bad things. Geda grew a long beard and hanging hairs just like his father. Maybe he thought that physical resemblance to the dead emperor would indicate that he was the true successor. Caracalla remained clean-shaven. Eventually poor old Julia had had enough. She convinced her two sons to meet with her, just the three of them, so they could put their differences behind them. The boys agreed, and both agreed to come alone and unarmed. In the middle of the meeting, though, some armed men charged in and made straight for Geda. Julia tried to get in the way and save her younger son, and her hand was injured as she, as she tried to fight the guards. Caracalla urged his men on, for these were Caracalla's men come to do his dirty work, and they pushed Julia out of the way and stabbed Geda to death. As he was being attacked, he shouted, Mother, thou didst bear me, thou didst bear me, help, I'm being murdered. But there was nothing that Julia could do. When the deed was done, the men rushed out of the palace, followed by Caracalla, 
leaving Julia covered in her son's blood, injured and crying. He was only 22. Caracalla rushed to the Praetorian camp. He threw himself at the feet of the guards and claimed he had acted in self-defence. The guards weren't sure whether to believe him, but he was convincing and promised them lots of money, so they agreed to support him. The legion based in Italy, to Parthica, was harder to convince. More money was spent to buy their allegiance. Once this was done though, Caracalla had all the military personnel in Italy behind him and his place at the top was secure. In December 212, Caracalla became the sole emperor of Rome. The sole emperor then spent the next few months savagely assassinating, executing, torturing and generally abusing anyone who had supported Gedda or who had liked Gedda or who may have liked Gedda or was simply someone Caracalla wanted to get rid of. This included senators, governors, Praetorian prefects, soldiers, servants, slaves, charioteers, women and children, and probably dogs and cats too. Among those killed were the surviving daughter of Marcus Aurelius and Caracalla's ex-wife Plautina, who he had promised he would, he would execute when he became emperor. Pertinax's son was murdered for making a joke about Gedda. When it came to killing people, Caracalla was a man of his word. It's thought that a total of 20,000 people were murdered during this time. Caracalla was not content that his brother was dead, all his brother's friends were dead, and all of his brother's supporters were dead. What he did next was to rub out any record of Gedda that existed in the empire. Coins that had been issued with Gedda's picture on were melted down and recast with Caracalla's portrait. Any pictures that existed of the Severan family were scratched so that Gedda could no longer be seen. It was as if Gedda had never existed. The only reminder of Gedda was Julia Domna herself and it's amazing that Caracalla didn't have her killed. Some have speculated that Caracalla did all this because he was guilty and couldn't bear to look at any image of his brother. Personally, I just think he was a very nasty man. Even the triumphal arch of Septimius Severus was defaced, with all the images of Gedda being chiselled away and his name being removed from any inscriptions. If you get the chance to visit Rome, take some time to look carefully at the arch. The removal of the lettering is obvious, moving evidence of a hatred fueled family echoing through 1900 years. Potentially, Caracalla was more of a danger to the Empire than Commodus had been. He was considerably more intelligent than Marcus's son and wasn't nearly as lazy and uninterested. He was, though, unpredictable, impatient and inherently cruel. To go along with these positive qualities, he had a vicious temper. He couldn't be bothered even to try to curry favour with the senators, Probably he was clever enough to realise that executing so many of them would prevent the rest from trusting him. One thing that most of the bad emperors had had in common was that they preferred to stay in Rome. Nero to pay his music, Caligula to pretend he was Jupiter, Commodus to fight in the Circus Maximus. But Caracalla was not content simply to spread fear in Rome, so in 215 he set off on what was to become Caracalla's cruelty roadshow. Killing and terrorising senators and Romans was not enough. He wasn't going to let the provinces off. He was about to become, in the words of the historian Edward Gibbon, the common enemy of mankind. First he put down a small rebellion in the Rhineland and assumed the title Germanicus. Then he went travelling. He would order the citizens of cities to build beautiful buildings, which he then ignored or ordered them to be pulled down. He ordered a mass killing of the young men in Alexandria when he arrived there in 215. 20,000 more people were put to death. The cause of this massacre is still debated. Some think that the actors of the city put on a comedy production about Gedda's murder 
and the mass killing was Caracalla's revenge. This may well be the case, given that he directed and watched the massacre with some enthusiasm. As he travelled around his empire, Caracalla stopped at a lot of shrines associated with healing gods. He was an unhealthy man generally, but rumours circulated that his troubles were in his head. He was troubled by dreams, so the stories went, in which his dead father constantly rebuked him for killing his own brother. While this is perfectly possible, Caracalla is more likely to have been trying to improve his physical health. The only people who were happy with Caracalla were the soldiers. The emperor raised their pay over and over again, and they came to expect it. He also dressed like a soldier and lived among them, trying to curry favour. It worked. Caracalla was following two-thirds of his father's advice very well. He was enriching the soldiers and scorning all other men very successfully. But a bit of a shame about the be harmonious with your brother bit. Caracalla left the actual running of the empire to two men, the two Praetorian prefects. The military organisation was entrusted to Adventus, while the civil affairs were in the hands of a very capable administrator, an equestrian called Marcus Opelius Macrinus. Both were subject to the whim of the emperor, and each knew he would be executed without a second thought if Caracalla wished it. Both tried to avoid any situation which might cause their leader's wrath. In 216, having murdered, tortured and terrorised his own people enough for a while, Caracalla turned his attention towards Rome's neighbours. He decided to play with the Parthians. After a few minor skirmishes, he accepted a peace offer from the Parthian king, and then suggested a marriage to cement the peace. His offer was politely refused. Caracalla may not have been the worst ruler that Rome ever had, and he wasn't the maddest. Caracalla was, though, probably the nastiest man who ever wore the purple. He was cruel, violent and dangerous, and it was only a matter of time before he became so dangerous that somebody would kill him. The end for Caracalla came in 217. A mystic from the east prophesied that Praetorian prefect Macrinus and his son were destined to become emperors. The mystic was arrested and sent to Rome in chains. He was interrogated by the city prefect, who tried to make him renounce, but he stuck to his guns. The prefect knew he couldn't keep the information to himself. It was better that Caracalla hear it from him than find out about it later and execute anyone he knew. He wrote to the imperial court with news of the prophecy. This was as good as a death warrant for poor old Macrinus. The prefect was tipped off by a friend and he intercepted the letter. There was nothing unusual about this. As Praetorian prefect, he dealt with a lot of the emperor's communications. He decided there was no way that Caracalla was going to be kept in the dark about the prophecy for too long, so there was only one thing for it. Caracalla would have to go. Macrinus persuaded a disgruntled soldier to be the assassin. While travelling through the Eastern Empire, Caracalla ordered his party to stop because he needed to relieve himself. As he was doing his business, the soldier ran out and killed the emperor with a single stroke from his sword. The assassin was immediately killed by the Praetorians. Caracalla died while still only 29 years old. His reign would go down in history as a terrible time, but two things happened during this time which would last longer than the memory of Caracalla himself. First, the biggest baths ever were opened in Rome. The ruins of the baths of Caracalla can still be seen there today. They are absolutely huge. The other thing was even more momentous. Caracalla made every free man in the empire a citizen of Rome. Now anyone could be a legionary and everyone had to pay tax. 
everyone was subject to Roman law. It was the custom for a man to take the name of the emperor when he was made a citizen. Caracalla's official name was Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, which led to an awful lot of people taking the family name Aurelius. It also led to a change in the social order. Now everyone was a citizen, there was no distinction between people from Italy and provincials. Society split into two broad classes, Honestiores and Humiliores. After time, this split was written into law, Honestiores having more privileges and Humiliores being subject to more severe punishments. Macrinus managed to convince everyone that he had taken no part in the death of the emperor, and the legions and the guard, who had nobody lined up to take over, didn't know what to do. They went through various candidates, but none of them seemed suitable. So eventually, as a last desperate measure, they turned to Macrinus. He was proclaimed emperor three days after Caracalla's death. The accession of this new emperor marked a turning point in Roman history, because Macrinus was only an equestrian. Every other emperor before him, even if he had been born to a lower rank, was of patrician senatorial rank by the time he became emperor. Macrinus, though, was still an equestrian. This must have annoyed the Senate, but given they didn't have a lot of choice, they agreed, and the prophecy that Macrinus would become emperor came true. Macrinus had been born in Mauritania in 165. He had a good education and became a lawyer and administrator. He was appointed Praetorian Prefect by Caracalla, even though he had never led soldiers. This was by this time quite common. Of the two prefects, it was generally thought good that one would be a soldier and the other not. Macrinus, of course, had never expected to become emperor, but he attempted to make a good job of this unexpected rise to power. The first thing Macrinus did was try to apologise to all the people outside the empire that Caracalla had upset. He did this by paying money to the tribes and peoples that Caracalla had annoyed, killed, tortured or generally taunted. This didn't go down well with the legions, who liked Caracalla because he had paid them well and didn't like seeing the money go to someone else. Macrinus did two other things that eventually led to his downfall. First, he sent word that the family of Caracalla were not to be harmed. This was merciful and kind, but also incredibly stupid. Septimius Severus's wife, Julia Domna, was exiled to Antioch, where she starved herself to death. Julia Domna's sister, Julia Mesa, had daughters, both also called Julia. Each had a son, both true Severans, who had better claims to the throne than Macrinus, and if there was ever likely to be a revolt, these two boys would be at the centre of it. Second, Macrinus didn't return to Rome on his accession to stamp his authority on the empire. Instead, he remained in the east, where the Parthian king, Artabanus V, had raised an army to attack the empire. Macrinus would become the first emperor who never went to Rome during his reign. He would, though, not be the last. The Romans met the Parthians in a small battle at Nisbis, where the legions were defeated, and Macrinus agreed to pay the enemy 200 million sesterces to stop them attacking again. This was the last nail in the coffin as far as Macrinus's reign was concerned. Having made peace with the Parthians, Macrinus gave himself the title Parthicus Maximus, as if he had won a military victory. If he did this to try and promote his standing in the eyes of the Senate, it didn't work. He further alienated the ancient body by appointing men he knew and trusted into key positions. Most of these were, like himself, of equestrian rank. This must have galled the senators immensely. Macrinus still managed to persuade the Senate to award his son, Diadomenianus, the title of Caesar. 
and thus make him the official heir. He lost favour with the ancient body very soon afterwards, when he deified the late, unlamented Caracalla. This he did in order to try to win the favour of the army, which he needed to do as he realised there wasn't enough cash to keep raising the pay. In fact, he reverted to the levels of pay under Septimius Severus. This caused great resentment and the talk of revolt began. The three remaining Severan Julias conspired in their home city of Emesa in Syria. Julia Mesa claimed that her eldest grandson, Varius Avitus Bassianus, was the son of Caracalla. This was plainly ridiculous, but it was enough to give the legions someone to rally behind, and rally they did. On May the 14th, 218, the third legion, sailed at Rafana, declared this boy Emperor of Rome. The 14-year-old took the name Elagabalus, after his position of High Priest of El Gabul, the sun god. So once again, it was legion against legion, Roman against Roman. The legion supporting Elagabalus didn't get off to a very good start. They were being thrashed by Macrinus's army in battle, when, so the story goes, the youth who was the focal point of the rebellion grabbed his sword, mounted his horse and charged into the thick of the battle. This was enough to rally his troops and they proceeded to defeat Macrinus's force. Macrinus fled disguised as a spy from the military police. He shaved his beard and his head to avoid being recognised but he was eventually captured in Cappadocia and executed aged 58. The Severans didn't make the same mistake that Macrinus had, and Diadomenianus was also put to death. The 14-month reign of Macrinus was at an end, and the Severans were back. In the next chapter, we'll follow the last two members of the Severan dynasty. First, the weird reign of Elagabalus, who seemed to care more about dressing up than ruling a vast empire, and then the tragic reign of his cousin Alexander Severus, who did his very, very best to do a good job, but in the end, everything was stacked against him. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please pop on down to www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. If you'd like to contact me, then please do so at mythandhistory at gmail.com or go onto Facebook and find Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a good couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.